Blog Talk Radio. Time now for the Gridiron Stud Show. Well, you can be all American. Actually, you know. actually, I can do it now. You can do it now? Yeah, I can do it. But I'm trying to focus on my position. With your host, Chad Wilson. They hate no me on Chad. You know, yeah, I got to be something in the mix. Bringing you high school, college, and NFL talk. I don't rap a discipline. Me that. You all need more discipline. True discipline. Come on, get a grip. Call us on the show today. Don't get out of my face with that crazy stuff. The number to call, 347-633-9365. If y'all got to take, y'all know that. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Stud. And now, your host, Chad Wilson. All right, I guess that's me. Let's kill the intro. Welcome to the Gridiron Stud Show. It's been a little bit of a while. Chad Wilson here, if you didn't know who I was. Nevertheless, it's uh, an NFL show today. We're going to talk NFL draft, NFL combine, prospects, etc., etc. We're going to talk about that here today on the show. Just for uh, just a little um, note for the people that are watching me on Facebook Live, this is also being broadcast on Blog Talk Radio. So, um, may not be able to interact with my Facebook Live um, audience as I would if it was just Facebook Live. I do have a radio show going and sometimes interacting uh, with some of the Facebook Live um, listeners doesn't come over too well on radio. So um, I do see you here, and thanks to all of you who have joined in on the show. If you would, do me a favor, share this uh, live broadcast to, uh, to your pages there on Facebook, and uh, let's get a wider audience. Why not? The more the merrier here because we're talking about something super important, and that is the NFL draft that is coming up upon us. Pro days going on right now um, at the various campuses uh, around the uh, country. Not sure uh, what to make of pro days. You know, I went through all this last year, um, watching the pro days and uh, hearing some of the reports that come out of pro days. And, you know, it's a lot of fluff uh, that goes on there, at least in my opinion. Um, I don't know if you can trust 40 times out of there, if you can trust performances. You know, of course, agents and people with an agenda for each of the uh, particular players that are involved in the pro days. They all have Twitter. They're all on social media, and so they're going to push their agenda. And I'm yet to see an agent say that someone performed horribly um, at a pro day, um, and agents are prone to fudging up the numbers when it comes to 40-yard dashes. I will say that, if I could use that word. They will fudge some 40-yard dash numbers. So um, you run out, you take the Twitter, and you start looking for how someone performed, and you start looking for 40-yard dash times, and trying to find the truth is uh, gets to be a little bit difficult. But anyway, um, I have a very good guest on the show today, Matt Miller from Bleacher Reports, um, quickly becoming one of the um, preeminent draft analysts, at least 
in social media on Twitter. Of course, you still have, you know, the uh, the big names like Mel Kuyper, um, who's obviously cornered the market in terms of uh, being on television. Um, but there are some questions as to how knowledgeable he is um, in this day and age. Um, he did back in the day. He was really the only one that held that title. So. Um, he was the person that you had to go to. But now there's so many draft analysts, as I found out last year when my son Quincy was going through the process, there's so many draft analysts now that exist on Twitter. It's unbelievable. Anyone who could sign up for a Twitter account and has watched a couple NFL games can now be a draft analyst and will uh, break down a prospect. And I'm not even sure they know how to catch or throw a football. It's amazing. Not that that's a complete prerequisite, but it would be nice if you actually knew how to play the game. So, yeah, a lot of draft analysts out there. And, um, you know, I see that Rod Dawson joined me here. Rod, man, if you're on Twitter, <laughs> get get. I don't, probably don't even need to tell you. Rod's son, Duke, uh, is a cornerback at Florida going through the process right now. Probably not a good thing for you to be on Twitter. Whole lot of BS that people will speak um, about your child, and um, you've got to have a whole lot of patience and really, really thick skin to deal with some of it. But nevertheless, I'm going to have an actual expert, draft analyst, a real draft analyst uh, on the show today, and that is Matt Miller from Bleacher Reports. Does a really good job. Um, recently did a seven-round mock draft, um, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, but he did do that. Now, mind you, that was before the big trade between the Colts and the Jets. So there's some shakeup there. But I'll talk to him about that, talk to him about the combine, um, and also talk about some of the prospects that are out. Obviously, I don't have him for a long time, so we'll just try and hit on a few that are perhaps relevant to the big three in state since i got a pretty good uh, big Florida audience. So we'll talk about um, Florida, uh, a Florida prospect, Florida State prospect, and the university of uh, Miami prospects. So we'll do that later on in the show today. Um, Matt will join me at about half past the hour here. On for the next hour. Uh, nevertheless, I had this theory, came up with it, um, talked about it on Twitter, and uh, I don't know that it was all that well received, but uh, what the hell, what's the theory? I don't need everyone to agree with it. But nevertheless, I'm not big on warm weather quarterbacks on cold weather outdoor NFL teams. And by warm-weather quarterback, I mean this. You played high school ball in a warm-weather territory, so that would be California, that would be Texas, that would be Florida, South Florida, um, and then you went to college in that same state uh, or one of those warm-weather states, and then now you're in uh, freezing Arctic temperatures outdoors. You're in New England, you're in Cleveland, you're in Green Bay, I just don't think that works out very well um, for those quarterback prospects. And it's, it's something that's relevant um, with this particular draft because two guys at the top of this draft at the quarterback position come from warm weather. And that's Sam Darnold and that's Josh Rosen. These guys played high school ball in Southern California, played college ball in Southern California, and to wake up tomorrow in Cleveland – in icy temperatures, might not be the best thing. I've seen a lot of mock drafts that have either Darnold or, um, or, or Rosen going to Cleveland or New York, vice versa, 
And those are two cold weather cities. And then, you know, if you're up that way, I didn't tell you anything you didn't know. But I just don't think that's worked out. If you've done a little research, <laughs> research on it, and you're right, Emil, waking up in Cleveland for anyone who's uh, not from Cleveland, I guess is not the greatest thing in the world. But nevertheless, um, I don't know that that's a good move for a Josh Rosen or a Sam Darnold, especially at a franchise like Cleveland that needs um, more help than, than a little bit coming off of 0-16 season. Now, they've been very, very active in the offseason with free agency. They've thrown some money around. We could dispute as to whether or not they overpaid for some guys. But if you're Cleveland and you're 0-16, you're going to overpay for guys. You're going to have to spend uh, more money than probably the the going rate to get someone to play in Cleveland. And so you got to – listen, everyone likes to bang on Cleveland, and rightfully so. They've not had a whole bunch of success – in recent history, but nevertheless, you got to give them credit for going out and trying to do something. Okay, can't have another 0-16 year. I see people looking at the move they made and said, well, listen, that ought to be good for five wins. We don't know. We'll find out, but um, they've gone out and done something. Now, it is my theory, and this is my theory, that you build through the draft. These guys are not necessarily really trying to do that. They've gone out, they've gotten pieces, um, and they're going to try somehow to make them work. Now, they do have a quarterback in Tyrod Taylor, but despite that fact, um, poor Tyrod just can't um, get himself nailed down to a starting spot. Despite that fact, um, it is the overwhelming um, opinion that the Cleveland Browns are going to probably take a quarterback with either that number one or number four pick. And, you know, I, I should have researched this coming on here, but the Cleveland Browns have had a ridiculous amount of uh, first-round picks over the last few years. And uh, just to be quite honest, um, obviously I was very, very involved in the draft last year with my son going through it. And, um, my goodness, the Browns were getting towards the end of that first round, and he had not been picked up yet, and the Browns just kept getting picks. And in my mind, I'm like, good Lord, this kid might end up in Cleveland. These guys keep getting picks at the bottom of this draft, the boy's going to be in Cleveland. Um, prayers were answered, didn't go to Cleveland, slipped into the second round, and got picked up by the Colts, who, by the way, I think are doing some really good things um, this offseason. And by doing really good things, um, it's meant not doing a whole hell of a lot chasing after high-priced free agents. You know, uh, the fan base for Cleveland has been very impatient they want to see, they're seeing all these guys getting signed. And fans love names, okay? We're in a fantasy football era, and uh, fans really like names. And so when they see names going around getting signed elsewhere, it's exciting for them. And look, kudos to the NFL for uh, having a, a, an in-season during the off-season. The shuffling around of names, let's just be honest, it's entertaining. Truth of the matter is, there are very few earth-shattering uh, free agent signings each year. By and large, they um, tend to not work out the way the team and most certainly the fans um, expected them to work out. And we have that situation right down here in South Florida. Remember the signing of the Dom Kung Su? He got a tremendous amount of money to come here from Detroit to the Miami Dolphins, and this was going to be a big signing. I, for one, uh, I've been around for a little bit, okay, was not all that excited about the signing of the Dom Kung Su um, the way the fans were. 
Um, fans love to get excited this time of year. We got ourselves a big name, a, some guy that produced elsewhere, and they feel like um, this is going to get us over the hump or this guy is going to take us to the next level, and it simply more times than not does not work out that way. Despite that fact, despite that fact, we see this every year, uh, teams go out, pay guys a tremendous amount of money. You see some ridiculous contracts get signed. Amazing salaries passed out, um, and it almost puts the player behind the eight ball immediately and off the bat with their career at the new place. And um, we have a ton of that going on this year, in my opinion. Of course, we'll see it play out. But um, getting back to the Colts, they have not done much in terms of chasing the big name free agents this offseason. And, you know, does it? Not that my opinion on this matters. I just think that's probably the best way to go. Chris Ballard's a brand-new GM. They're in Indianapolis, and um, he's one that believes in building through the draft. So he's let some of his own guys go. He let some guys walk and get, you know, get their money elsewhere. Um, and I really think that he's going to build through the draft. And driving that point home was the trade that was made on Saturday between him and the New York Jets. Now, I'm going to talk to my guest, Matt Miller, coming on later on in the show about this, but I was blown away when I saw the trade. Um, essentially, the New York Jets swapped first-round picks with the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts were sitting there at three. The Jets were at six, so they swapped picks. So the Colts got their sixth their six pick overall. Jets moved up to number three. We can speculate here as to what exactly they're going after by moving up to number three. But to get that number three pick overall, the Jets parted with two second-round picks in this year's NFL draft and then a second-round pick in next year's 2019 NFL draft. It was um, a fleecing, for lack of a better word. Colts beat the Jets on that trade. However, we'll say this about the Jets. If there's someone there that you absolutely feel like is going to be a franchise changer for them, and we have to believe that that is a quarterback, then, you know, you do what you got to do to get your guy. Um, Mike Ditka once gave away his entire draft class, gave away all of his picks to get one, and that was Ricky Williams, because Mike Ditka truly believed that uh, Ricky Williams was going to change the franchise. He was wrong, but um, he did what he had to do to get his guy. So, um, Ballard, Chris Ballard, GM of the Indianapolis Colts, simply waited for one desperate football team, and he found it in New York, and it was the Jets. And um, uh, that's a coup, to be honest. It totally fits the needs of the Colts right now who want to build through the draft. So they're going to have three second-round picks. There's a tremendous – and just look at last year's draft. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of value in that second round, and the Colts are going to have three very decent um, – picks in that second round to build their team with. And um, I sure hope the Jets get their guy. Now, I don't know about anyone else, and you guys can feel free to chime in on this. Um, I don't know that there's any one of these quarterbacks that are coming out right now that I can say are franchise quarterbacks. I don't think there's an Andrew Luck. I don't think there's a Peyton Manning um, in this draft class. I'm not seeing that type of player. I'm not seeing uh, an Aaron Rodgers in this. But, you know, who knew Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers when he came out? But I'm just not seeing that kind of player. 
um, at the quarterback position. Darnold has mechanics issues. He had his pro day today. I'm sure if you go on social media and you look at it, it was a tremendous pro day. And, um, you know, I did see one clip that made me laugh. And I'm not here to bang on Sam Darnold. Obviously, uh, you know, a very good prospect. But uh, I'm on Twitter, and I saw the caption said, Sam Darnold was out at USC Pro Day throwing dimes in, in a rainstorm. Yes, it was raining. But the pass that I saw was a deep ball uh, on a post, and the receiver had to slow down and come to a standstill down there to catch the ball. It's not a dime, folks. Okay? But it is hype season. And um, speaking of hype, we're going to talk about Saquon Barkley. Now, um, Saquon Barkley, it, he appears to be, he's a great guy. Obviously, very physically talented player. Um, so you can understand people um, being attracted to a player like that, both the player and the person. So he received a lot of push early into the middle part of, uh, of the season last year to, uh, to, to win the Heisman Trophy. Um, kind of limped to the finish line when they ran up against some good teams and were able to hold them in check. And now we're back to this combine time and we're leading up to the draft and we're seeing some of that hype again. Listening to Colin Cowherd today, he says um, that, you know, the media and folks are really hyping up. Overhyping was the word he used for Saquon Barkley. And um, I don't know that he's, you know, incorrect about that. That there may be just a good amount of that. And anytime someone goes and performs the way that he did at the Combine, plus you have some pretty good tape and, and performances out there to match that, then there's going to be a tremendous amount of buzz. And we're hungry in this day and age for uh, content, for information. So um, everyone wants to know about that guy that um, did so well at the Combine. And it's, just, it's, an easy, it's easy for the media to do because everyone wants to know about this guy, so they're going to keep mentioning him. And we're on 24 hours news cycles, and all of these blogs need content, and um, all of these places online need content. So Saquon Barkley, the big running back that ran um, great and jumped high at the combine, is going to get a tremendous amount of um, hype, for lack of a better word. It's going to get us a, tre a tremendous amount of attention leading up to – this NFL draft, and that's exactly what's going on. But is it too much hype? And where should Saquon Barkley go? Uh, I'm going to discuss this again also with my guest today, Matt Miller, NFL draft analyst from Bleacher Reports. But I'm of the opinion that um, Barkley should end up in Cleveland. Now, I understand they just got Carlos Hyde. They have Duke Johnson there. Uh, you know, I mentioned this. I don't think – Cleveland is the place for Sam Darnold and Josh Rose. You've been playing in that sunny, lovely weather um, all your life, and now you're going to pick up and head to Cleveland and try and resurrect that franchise and play games in the ice cold. That's just one more thing for you to get used to on top of everything else. And you may never get used to handling a football like that in ice cold weather. I mean, if you grew up in South Florida or Southern California and you played high school ball there and you played college ball there and now you're heading to Buffalo or New England or Cleveland or Green Bay, Chicago, don't know if that's the best thing for you. Um, and so I think what the Cleveland Browns really need to do, they've had 
really bad luck when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, over the last nine, ten years, um, Joe Thomas recently, all right, the best player on their team, Joe Thomas, um, their left tackle, uh, just retired. And I've come to learn, I didn't look it up, but he blocked for 20 different quarterbacks in his 10 seasons there at Cleveland. Nine-time Pro Bowler, um, 20 quarterbacks. They've had such bad luck. So here's, here's, here's my free advice to the Cleveland Browns. And you guys out there, tell me if you agree with this or not. But how about Cleveland? You fix everything else about your football team. Fix your offensive line. Fix your defensive line. Fix your linebackers, your secondary. Get yourself the best running backs that you can. Get yourself some, um, pa- some pass catchers. Fix everything else. And your attitude and the whole culture. Get all that cleaned up, and then when all is well and good, you slide yourself a quarterback in there. So somebody coming in there can have a certain amount of success. And one of those things is having yourself a lights-out running game that can do a lot of things. It can, it can be explosive, and then it can also close out football games. And while I am not entirely sold on Barkley being the type of player that can close out a football game. I'm not yet sure. When I look at him in uh, some of the games against the big-time competition last year, I'm not entirely sure that he's that player. But mm, close enough, okay, you get that guy, put him in your backfield, and between him and Hyde and, and Duke Johnson, you get yourself a running game that can get you a lead and close out a lead with a competent quarterback, which Tyrod Taylor is. You get yourself some pass catchers. You get all those guys signed. Try and get them locked up for a long term. And fix the culture and start doing some kind of winning there in Cleveland. And then at some point, get out of quarterback. So what am I suggesting? Maybe you don't go get that quarterback this year. Ride it out with Tyrod Taylor. Because I don't think you have a guy that fits you right now. Your cold weather guys are going to be Josh, uh, Josh Allen, and to a certain degree, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is more Johnny Manziel than he is Russell Wilson. And why am I saying that? That's probably going to make some people angry. But the truth of the matter is, and you had people bringing this up, is that, uh, well, they were getting mad about Lamar Jackson being asked to work out as a wide receiver. Well, why aren't they asking Baker Mayfield that? Well, Baker Mayfield answered that question two times. Two times he answered why he would not be asked to work out as a wide receiver at the NFL Combine. The first time he answered that question is when he was on a police video getting run down by some police officers, okay? He might have been drunk. So let's just give him a mulligan on that. But then he showed up to Indy, and in the NFL Combine, where I'm pretty sure he was clean and sober, he ran a 481. No, that ain't Russell Wilson. Check the numbers. Russell Wilson, 4-5 at the NFL Combine, okay? So he's not, that, he's not even Andrew Luck. I believe ran a 4-5 or a 4-6 at the NFL Combine. He's certainly not Michael Vick. He's certainly not Cam Newton, who's a 4-5. He's not that type of athlete, folks. So um, they were going on and on during the season about Baker Mayfield's athletic ability, but even that might have been oversold. So what you end up with is a guy with some moxie and some charisma, and maybe the players would take to him, but he's still a guy that's six foot and change and is going to have a little trouble seeing in the pocket. And 
thus may not be the best guy for you to go throw into that situation in Cleveland. And then Josh Allen needs some polish. So if you're going to take that guy at number one or number four, you're probably setting him up for some disappointment. Okay? So you don't really have your guy, Cleveland, at quarterback in this draft. You're going to try and convince yourself maybe that Josh Rosen or Sam Donald is that guy. But again, you don't want to take your guy out of the fun and sun of Southern California, where they've been all their life, and try and put them in a not-so-great situation there in Cleveland, where it's also icy cold. I mean, icy cold. So on top of trying to change the culture, trying to learn um, an NFL offense, and deal with the speed of NFL defenses, you're going to ask the kid to learn how to maneuver or grip an ice-cold football and throw and play in those conditions? Mm, I don't think that's your, your pick. Better off fixing it with your number one overall and your number four overall pick, and then see if there's a guy next year that you might want to jump on. Hell, uh, Tyrod Taylor might do something great for you. You know what you do, Cleveland? Maybe you pick up a quarterback in the mid-round somewhere. Maybe there's a guy that um, surprises you. And you don't have to, at some later date, pick up a first round quarterback at some point later on. Maybe there's a Tom Brady sitting there in this draft for you. Man, you were just picking a guy and he ends up being more than you truly expected. But you bring Sam Darnold into the situation, you bring Josh Rosen into the situation, you bring a not ready Josh Allen into the situation as a top five pick, the bullseye is already on their back. It's just too much for them to deal with. So Cleveland, build your team up. Build your squad up, fix everything around it, and then um, you kind of just go from there. You add a quarterback later on, or maybe Tyrod ends up being a guy, or your mid-round pick um, ends up being a guy. Heck, well, I might have a guy for you. His dad's listening to the show right now, and that's Mike White. There you go. So you could pick up Mike White later than you would pick up a Josh Allen uh, or uh, a Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold, and you insert a guy like Mike White, and there's less pressure when you didn't pick the guy in the top five picks or in the first round, and maybe he gets himself in the game, then you find out that is my guy. That is. That's, that's my Tom Brady in this draft. That's what Cleveland needs. That's what Cleveland needs. I'm going to run this theory by Matt Miller uh, when he joins me here on the show, which should be in about five or ten minutes here. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he says here. Get Saquon Barkley. Run there. Take him from the Giants. Piss the Giants off. Who knows what the Giants are going to do? The Giants are, you know, I've seen uh, mocks with uh, Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold's been put anywhere in those top three spots. I don't know what the Jets are doing. Um, I've seen mocks where you've got Darnold to Cleveland, Rosen to New York. So you're telling me you moved up to that third spot to get Josh Allen? Tell me you didn't do that for Baker Mayfield. That would be so Jets right now, wouldn't it? Just really would be. But nevertheless, um, I guess that will be revealed to us. And, again, that's something that I can also ask Matt Miller. So why do we think the New York Jets gave away um, two second-round picks this year and a second-round pick next year to move to number three? I'm not sure that the guy that they want is going to be available to them there, number three. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that chess, that chess move that they made there. So, uh, something that we could discuss here with 
uh, Matt Miller coming up here on the show. But nevertheless, that's how I'm looking at it. What are Dolphins going to do? Is this the year they find a replacement for uh, Ryan Tannehill, a future replacement? I just remember Tannehill being a guy that played a year and a half of uh, college quarterback, and the Dolphins made him a super high top half. What was he picked? 10th overall um, in the NFL draft. So he had a target on his back. And it just was, it ended up being impossible for him to live up to the height. And that's what I fear is going to happen to um, maybe all of these guys that they're talking about taking in the top half of this draft. Um, Sam Darnold in Cleveland, what's your measuring stick there? You know, um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you're going to measure success in Cleveland for a Sam Darnold if that's where he ends up. I'm not seeing very many mocks for Josh Rosen in Cleveland, but and so what's the game for Josh Rosen if he goes to New York? Sit behind Eli, wait for him to completely falter and fall to pieces, and then you slide Josh Rosen in there, and you better win two Super Bowls, Josh Rosen, because that's what the guy before you did. I don't know if that's a great situation for them. Ideally, man, Josh Rosen, you end up somewhere warm like Arizona. Uh, Sam Darnold, you end up somewhere warm like Arizona, or, uh, or, or you end up at the Miami Dolphins, San Diego, but we all know that that's not going to happen. Those aren't the moves that are going to be made. These teams at the top of the draft are going to be tricked into thinking these warm weather, surf weather guys are going to come to their cold weather town and light it up uh, because we all know that's what fans want, and it just, just doesn't happen that fast with it. It's not going to happen fast enough. So um, I'm not sure uh, how you can measure success for some of these guys that are going to go to some of these places. So I don't know. So uh, nevertheless, just got a message here on my, uh, on, on my phone here. I'm not going to have my guest today, but that's all fine with me. I'm a one, I'm a one man show anyway. So we can keep, talking about this. You know what? Since I'm not going to have my guests, um, you guys could fire some questions at me, and, you know, maybe I will take that on there. Tavares Bragdon says, Josh Rosen is the truth. You care to expand on that a little bit? I'm not saying he's not. Tavares Bragdon, do you like Josh Rosen um, in Cleveland or New York? Do you think those guys can, do you think those guys can survive in a cold weather town like that. Going into those situations, obviously, if you're getting picked that high in the draft, then you uh, are going to a franchise that didn't win very many games, and you're going to need to do some things there. Now, granted, the situation in New York is not um, maybe as dire as Cleveland. Cleveland is not sure Tyrod Taylor is going to work out. Yes, Eli has been declining over the last few years, and so. Um, that's cause for concern, but Eli has history there. So the fan base, um, the team, and the front office still has that feeling that Eli could be the Eli possibly that won them a couple Super Bowls. There's still the chance that he could do that. So um, I don't know. Tavares, yes, Arizona sounds great for Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen. Just don't think that's going to happen. Um, 
And yet, so far as you know, I've thought about that, about Josh Allen being the guy in Cleveland. Uh, I'm, you know, to be honest, here's how this could work. Here's the ideal situation for Cleveland. And if they had their heads on straight, this is what they would do. Um, you get yourself Saquon Barkley with that number one pick. And you take the gamble that the next two guys picking aren't going after Josh Allen. There is that small chance that the Jets may have a really keen interest in Josh Allen. Maybe they liked him throwing the ball 70, 80 yards deep, and they're just totally enamored by that because um, he was launching some deep balls in, in, at the combine. But if I'm the Browns, I think I let it ride on that. Yes, Saquon might be a little bit overhyped right now, but he'd be a really good piece in addition to your team. You've got to pick someone at number one, okay? Um, so you get, you get Saquon at number one, and you gamble on um, Rosen and Darnold being the next two taken, and then you pick up Josh Allen with that number four pick overall. Cold-weather guy, that's not going to be an issue for him. He played in Wyoming, knows all about the snow, the freezing cold temperatures, and throwing the ball in that weather. He can handle that. That's not something he's going to really have to adjust to. And You pick him up at number four. That's the, that's the win scenario um, for the Cleveland Browns, I think. Yes, I know Carlos Hyde was signed. Who knows? Um, I have to look at that contract. I haven't looked at it. How many years did they get him for, Tavares? If you know that, um, go ahead and let me know. If it's a one, two-year deal, then I think you know what's going on there. Okay, so, um, yeah, uh, I, and Amos right. I don't see Sam Darnold um, getting past the New York Jets at number three. Um, so, thoughts of him playing for Arizona or someone warm, um, that's just not going to happen. It's what should happen, not going to happen. And shall we take a little bit? of a look at the history of USC quarterbacks. Um, the only one that has survived and done well um, in cold temperatures has been Carson Palmer, who was a Heisman Trophy winner, by the way. And you know what? I think um, while, while I'm here, I'm going to take a look. I'm going to actually take a look at Carson Palmer's numbers uh, at Cincinnati. I have a feeling I'm going to look it up, and it's not going to be as great as everyone thinks they were. But nevertheless, when you go looking at the rest of those guys that played there, they either all ended up coming out of Southern California and heading to uh, a warm weather team, or they went somewhere that wasn't warm weather and it didn't work out for them. You know, Matt Barkley did end up in Chicago, but I don't think that mattered. Um, shall we talk about Sanchez and the butt fumble? And the, look what happened, all right? Look what happened when a USC quarterback trying to play in the cold. We got the butt fumble from Mark Sanchez, who's bounced around the league. He's been passed around like a blunt at a, at, a, at a toga party, pretty much. That's what's happened to him in the league. So let's take a look at Carson Palmer's numbers with the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. I'm sure my, uh, sure my friend Emil Calaminos probably has those things recited right in his head. Yeah, um, Sanchez, there you go. All right, so let's take a look at how Carson Palmer did in that cold weather there in Cincinnati. Uh, he had a really great 2005. You know what? Not bad. Two great back-to-back years. And then um, he threw a lot of interceptions, okay? Threw a lot of interceptions 
in Cincinnati. 18, 12, 13, 24, 13. I mean, it wasn't a Hall of Fame career there in Cincinnati. I think he realized that. That's why he tried to get the heck out of there, spent a couple of years in Oakland, and then went to Arizona. Um, someone find me. Someone out there find me a warm-weather quarterback that came out of college and went and really tore it up in the NFL. I could think of one, maybe, and that's Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers went to a great situation in Green Bay um, with a franchise that had won a Super Bowl not too long before he got there and then had the luxury of sitting behind a legend and observing for quite some time, some would argue maybe too long, before he actually took the football field. So, I mean, if someone could walk into that kind of situation, maybe it could work out for him. But we're not like that anymore in this day and age. If, and, and mind you, Aaron Rodgers was picked up at the bottom half, the bottom end of the first round. If Cleveland goes out and the Giants go out and pick up a quarterback with first or second pick overall, you, the fan out there, not going to let him sit for two, three years like Aaron did. Not going to let that happen. Yes, Emil. Uh, yeah, Carson had a really good year in 2005, and then also again in 2006. But beyond that, not a Hall of Fame career there. Emil, I hear you say Jim Kelly. Here's what I say about Jim Kelly and why that's not going to count, and Bertie Kozar, and why that's not going to count. My stipulation is this. They played high, they grew up, played high school ball in warm weather, played college ball in warm weather. Basically, all of your football in your life leading up to the NFL was in the warm weather, and then they threw into the cold weather. Jim Kelly was from up north. So was Bernie Kozar. University of Miami went and stole them from up north, brought them down south, and made them a part of the greatest dynasty and program ever in college football, the University of Miami. And then after spending their four years in college, they returned to the cold. So there was no, they played football in, you know. Um, So there was, it was easier for them to get used to it. I'm talking about Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, um, uh, Carson Palmer, guys like that, played their entire football career, Pop Warner, high school, college, in warm weather, and then you toss them into the most elite football league there is in the world in freezing cold temperatures like Cleveland. And I, said, I mean, you understand what I'm going with there? You know, yeah, Joe Pod did give us Jim Kelly. He did try to make him a linebacker. Everyone does that. There's stories like that. And if any of y'all have them, put them out there. We, at University of Miami, didn't get Marshall Falk because we wanted to make him a defensive back. Turned out to be a fairly decent running back. So, I'm firing off a little text here to don't be alarmed. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see that working out. How about Pat Hayden? He went to the Rams. He had to go to the Rams. Just don't see that warm weather guy all your life going to cold weather. I don't see that. And then you go to a situation like Cleveland. So um, I don't know if that's the move for them. So, um, again, I'm supposed to have Matt Miller on with me. That's not going to happen. Trying to get that set up for tomorrow because that's some good questions for him that we need to ask. Um, 
and and um, I want to talk about some prospects. Talk about Derwin James from Florida State. Also want to talk about Duke Dawson from University of Florida and Mark Walton from the University of Miami. I want to get some questions asked on that. See what uh, Matt Miller thinks of those prospects. So um, this has just turned into um, a preview for tomorrow. We're going to try and get Matt Miller on with me tomorrow to talk about those things. But for right now, um, who's an underrated guy that you guys um, think in this draft? Someone that's just not getting the attention. That You know what? Before I even get to that, because I was going to talk to Matt Miller about this, um, and this is interesting because I've got fans on it. want to see what you guys think, see if you guys recognize what's going on with the uh, NFL Combine, because, you know, I'm kind of starting to notice it here, too. Um, back in my day, the obviously there was no NFL Network. Um, the NFL Combine was not televised. You heard about it um, around draft time, what guys did. Maybe something was printed in the newspaper about it. You really had to go searching for that information. We're not in that era anymore. Um, even if this thing wasn't televised, you'd be getting a lot of information about it on social media. But it is televised. And I'm really starting to notice uh, that the NFL Combine is starting to become a real television event. And by that, I mean, I think there's a little bit of staging going on. Um, you, you talk to guys behind the scenes and guys in certain circles, they are not all that trusting of some of the 40 times that are coming out. Could be sour grapes, um, could be any number of things, but I'm starting to fall in that line too. It seems to me that it is starting to become a packaged event and they're going to start, or they have started, deciding that they're going to publicize certain guys and um, make them the center of attention before the combine even starts. And they're going to try and create stories out of certain guys to push the television aspect of it, the entertainment aspect of it, and to keep eyeballs uh, because, again, it's a television event, which means you need viewers because you're selling advertising for it. And so it's starting to look a little staged. And that's troublesome because there needs to be a certain uh, transparency, a little bit of purity in bringing these guys to the combine and testing them and saying that we're going to use this as um, a measurement in terms of who we pick. And let's be honest, as much as we, would, we hate to think that this plays a part in it, um, fans have more power now than they have ever had before. And if the media really gets behind a guy for whatever reason, and they start pushing them, fans start putting pressure, and, hey, the NFL is a business too, and they survive by having butts in the seat and eyeballs on the television. So if they feel like that's what their fans want, it becomes um, the overwhelming thought process of a certain fan base, then there's pressure to take a guy. My biggest example of that was Johnny Manziel. If you just took the fan pressure and the hype out of it, and you're an executive um, in the National Football League who spent your time usually coming up through the ranks as a scout, you knew Johnny Manziel was not a first-round quarterback. You knew that. But there was so much hype 
uh, built around Johnny Manziel. It was a great story. Great to package for television. Um, great to provide content. Hell, Johnny didn't, you didn't need to do much with Johnny. He, he'd, bring you, he'd bring the entertainment to you. Easy money. Okay? You package it. Everybody wants to know what Johnny does next. What, what about Johnny? What Johnny football going to do? Um, and you talked about him incessantly well, during the season, and then that really amped up from January all the way to May, and then Cleveland got tricked. Cleveland got tricked into picking Johnny Manziel very high, and we could see how that worked out. Didn't work out. But my whole point is, all of the hype got pushed behind this guy and a franchise to come to it, and they picked the guy. So if that's what they're doing at the combine, and you're going to get certain guys pushed, it's almost like um, refs getting paid off in basketball. Um, it's, it's almost like wrestling, realizing wrestling is not real. It's staged. And it's, it's not for this sport. If you want your fan base to believe in all of the other aspects of the game, that referees aren't paid off, players don't take a dive, or, um, and there aren't moves made behind the scenes to ensure that certain teams um, that are in the Northeast, maybe the Boston area, um, can finagle their way into the, into the Super Bowl every year. If you want us all to believe in that, then you can't handle the combine now. I mean, the combine is all about numbers and measurements and things of that nature. You can't go around turning that into a package event where you hype certain guys before they even get out there and run. Because what happens when you decide, hey, this guy is going to be a guy that we're going to um, we're going to feature this week of the combine? You know, he, he's he's in all the pictures and uh, the interviews and all of the. Um, all, all of the promos leading up to it, and he doesn't perform well, well, you're trying to stage what's a reality event, and then he doesn't perform well, that's not good for you. So what ends up happening? You start messing around with some of the numbers. Okay, he ran a 4.7, but you're, you're saying he ran a 4.5. That's not a good look for the National Football League. And I'm starting to get the feeling that there's a little bit of that going on. So when you get guys that start saying they don't want to uh, work out at Indy, I think that might be some of it. I don't want to be a part of uh, some of that hype machine going on. You're not here. If you're not going to be hyping me, then I'm not going to be, I'm not going to go and get myself compared to a guy whose numbers you're fudging for the camera. You're not going to compare me to that. So um, we could get into that. And, yeah, Emil, I could get into a whole deal where we talk about the relevance um, of the testing. I've talked about that for years. You're testing defensive backs and wide receivers um, in a 40-yard dash where they come out of a three-point stance. They will never again in their lives line up in a three-point stance to run down anyone's football field. And if you know anything about running or training guys to run, um, coming out of a three-point stance in that first five or ten yards is almost everything about that sprint. And so if a guy can't really master that, it's something that's new to them and they're not very good at it, they're not going to come up with a good time. But you know what? When they get upright and run, like they're going to be doing when they play the game, they're as fast as someone who laid down a great time. A four-six guy 
might very well be as fast as a 4-4 or 4-3 guy when he's upright and running in a comfortable manner that he's used to doing. He's as fast as any of the fast other guys. So we can get into that, but we won't today. I'm just concerned about the uh, combine becoming a package event and somehow um, through whatever forces um, you are on the right side of the hype machine and you get things done. You get packaged, you get pushed, you get promoted, and you get picked high ahead of a guy that's better than you. And um, I'm starting to hear mumblings about that more and more. Been hearing it for the last two years, and this year it's been the loudest. Now, you out there, the public at large, may not um, hear it, but I'm definitely hearing it. And guys think that um, there's some funny business going on. Um, at the combine, in particular with the 40-yard dash. So just something for us to watch as we go down the road. Like how far does the NFL want to go with making this a big-time television event? How much advertising do you really need to sell for the NFL combine? And I'm not here to tell these guys how to be an accountant and run their business, but truth of the matter is, I mean, your hardcore fans are really the ones that's watching this. So how much do you need to, do you need to sell me Tide detergent? Do you need to sell me a Ford truck? I really just want to see these guys run their 40 and do their position drills. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be part of the Dodge cars and truck family. Can we save something? This, this, do we need to put advertising at everything? I'd be happy if you just, you know what's really stuff? Let me tell you this. Uh, if you're a loved one or a parent that is attached to one of those athletes that go to Indy and they're on their field doing the drills, and you can't, you can't get into Lucas Oil Stadium, okay? you got to have super credentials to be in there. So you're a family member, and the only way you're going to be able to watch your loved one or your child perform is on the NFL Network. And let me tell you something. This is the part that really sucks. Uh, they'll be doing on-field position drills, and your kid is getting ready to come up, and they cut to a commercial, and you don't get to see them do their drills? That happens, and it happens a lot. So let me ask you this question. How does the NFL choose when and who they're going to cut in on? That tells you something right there about how this is a – produced, staged event, right? They're not going to cut in on Derwin James doing his drills to show you a commercial on uh, Sears, okay? They're not going to try and sell you a Craftsman tool set while Derwin James is doing his drills. Now, a little-known defensive back from... Alcorn State or Pitt or Toledo, oh, they'll cut in on that guy. And they'll sell you some Mike's Hard Lemonade. Is that by chance? That's staged. And that goes to what I'm saying about, um, you know, the staging of this thing. This is not by accident. This planning is producing going on and it's starting to turn into um, – starting to look like it's a super staged event. And that's not good 
for the NFL. Starting to look like we're doing stuff in the dressing rooms before we head out onto the uh, into the ring, right? So, hey, Rock, you're going to beat Cold Stone Steve Austin tonight, and you're going to pin him. And there's a script written up. Um, if you talk to people about reality shows, we have a ton of them out there. Um, most of TV is reality shows right now. So, um, Love and Hip Hop, Real Housewives of Atlanta, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, um, and all of the other reality shows that are out there. There are a ton of them. Um, if you hear some of those people talk about it, they will tell you how the producers for those shows will try to script things. They'll try to script things in the Kardashians and call it reality TV. I'm just wondering if some of those same things are not going on um, with the NFL Combine. And if it is, if you're a competitor and you're a player and you don't happen to be one of those guys that's packaged and it's going to be promoed and your competition, your guy that you're competing against for a place in the draft is getting pushed and product, that has to irritate you and irk you to no end. That's going to drive you insane. I'm putting in work just like that guy. Um, I may have had a better college career than that guy. I'm certainly as worthy or maybe even more worthy than that guy. But because he has a blonde mohawk or he's super um, hyped for the camera, you've decided that you're going to build a, a portion of your broadcast around this guy and push him and hype him. And some of the analysts have good things to say about him, and they continue doing so after the combine. And he's getting all of this limelight, and franchises are going to get tricked into picking this guy over me because of the media hype and the fan base really moving in that direction. We're talking about millions of dollars here. So if the team with the number eight pick needs my position, and they pick Mr. Hype Package guy in that number eight spot, and it's going to be another nine or ten teams before my position is needed to get, count the money on that. So if you want to know why some guys enter into this NFL journey with a serious chip on their shoulder, it's some of that. And you're going to see more and more guys coming in like that. And I don't know what's left. I don't know what kind of motivation the package guy is going to have uh, when teams have just been patting him on the back big time over and over and over. And he feels like he's made it. And the guy that was competing right next to him that went seven, eight, nine picks later um, is really seething mad about it and goes out there and crushes the competition. And he ends up, you know, being the better player. That's some over a little bit of what happens there. So, anyway, if you're tuning in now or you're tuning in to the show today to see my guest, Matt Miller, um, something came up, was unable to make it on the show today. Going to try and organize that again for tomorrow. So um, hopefully we'll have Matt Miller on here with me tomorrow to answer some very important questions. And we'll bring up some of these things that I discussed here today. Um, do you want to see Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, um, some Pacific Ocean babies in Cleveland? Can they survive in places like Cleveland? And I'm not just talking because they don't do so well. Um, Cleveland as a franchise is that it's freezing Arctic cold there and these guys got to, they're going to have to adjust to that if they can adjust to that but think about it man it's Southern California it's 70 all the time if you're in South Florida it's 
70 all the time. We occasionally dip to 60 and 50 around here, and everyone brings out scarfs and earmuffs um, and go heavy on the chapstick. But by and large, it's tropical weather here. And if you've been playing in that all your life, little league, high school, college, and then someone sends you to Cleveland or Buffalo or New England or Green Bay, and you got to adjust to that as well as learn an NFL offense and deal with NFL players in your locker room and then deal with NFL defenses. And you need to do that quick, fast, and in a hurry because fans don't let a number one, two, or three pick overall sit on the bench anymore, a la Aaron Rodgers. We don't, we don't allow that anymore. If you're sitting on the bench two, three years from now, um, one of two things happen. The fan base is cussing out the ownership and the coach, or they're just saying that the player sucks. One of those two things happen. So we'll talk to uh, Matt Miller about that. Do Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen belong in freezing Arctic temperatures like New York City and Cleveland? Um, should Josh Allen be the guy that Cleveland takes? What should Cleveland do with that number one pick overall? And then again, we'll also talk about um, some prospects from Florida State, um, University of Miami, and Florida. We'll talk about that. So we're looking to get Matt Miller on. But other than that, I want to thank you all for joining me on the Gridiron Scud Show today. It's been a while. Um, thank you all for listening to me and my rants and listening to my little theories. Feel free to um, expand on that. Love reading you guys' comments later. I may not always respond to a comment you make on Facebook Live, especially when I'm also broadcasting on blog talk radio. Um, it doesn't always make for good talk radio for me to be talking uh, to people who are texting me um, on messages. But nevertheless, I do read the comments later. Um, and, of course, if you're watching this um, on archive, on tape later on, um, feel free to comment. I'm going to read it. Maybe a spark a debate in the comment section. But, again, thank you all for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. appreciate you. Uh, back tomorrow, whether Matt Miller's here or not, back on tomorrow, Gridiron Stud Show, same time, same bad channel, 4 p.m. Thanks for listening. See you guys tomorrow.